Now, one of the puzzling things to us has always been, how are we to understand God? Because we know that God is variously described as both singular, with, with a singular reference, and also with a plural reference. And as we see him presented in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see the distinct uh, presentations of all within the One. We see the deep, we see the Word, and we see the Spirit. And there are other uh, references in time uh, in the annals of Scripture uh, in which a similar um, presentation of God is, is visible. For example, at the baptism of Jesus, the voice speaking out of the heavens is clearly the Father because of the content of what He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Whoever is calling another Son is by reference Father. So the, Father, the voice of the Father speaks out of heaven, the Son has come up out of the water, form of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit descends on Him in the form of a dove. So over time, uh, scholars and uh, church fathers have attempted to put into human words this concept of three manifestations of one person. And to our detractors, people such as Muslims, have a very difficult time uh, with how we have framed the theology of God as the corporate being. And, and they say, the Muslims say, they cannot believe in three gods uh, because they understand what we are saying in the doctrine of the Trinity to be three gods. Uh, and their songs uh, to that effect, God in three per persons, the old um, Anglican hymn renders it, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And um, uh, much of the discussion by the ancient fathers uh, had to do with the term hypostasis, which is the same word as substance, which is under, the posture under, hypo under, uh, stasis, stance. So they've attempted to render the understanding of God in material terms, hence the doctrine of the Trinity. So I want, to take a, I want to take a look at that because I believe what we're seeing in heaven with the pre-existent Christ and the obedient Christ meeting each other in the center of the throne is an important mystery 
that God means to reveal now because it directly affects us and this is the time when the effect of that is meant to engulf us in the most um, glorious way. But to understand how two can be the same person requires an understanding of how three can be the same person. So are we really talking about three gods? One we call Father, the other we call Son, and the third we call Spirit? Are we talking about one person who's capable of three distinct but perfectly coordinated of one mind, of one nature, manifestations? So in Genesis 1, verse 2, we see the deep. The deep contains the water and the deep contains the Spirit and there is an unmistakable nexus between the Spirit and the water contained within the deep. So there's one, the deep is one, the deep is all-encompassing. And in that sense, the deep is God. Now, the question may be that of form versus intent, which is to say, is God defined by unitary form or is God meant to be primarily known for His intent? You say, that's an artful way of presenting it. No, Jesus said, I came to show you the Father. And the finishing of the work of Jesus on the earth is accomplished by the Spirit. Because the Spirit has come to take of what belongs to Christ and reveal it to us. So if the if the intent of Christ and the support that God gave him, all that is his, all authority, all power, was designed to reveal the Father, then the purpose of the the Spirit coming to finish the work of Christ is by extension also to reveal the Father and the format in which the Father is to be revealed with Christ on the throne and that format being us, we must be conformed to the likeness of the Father. Because if we are the visual sighting of the Father, if we are the incarnation of the work that Jesus came to do, inevitably we have to be choreographed to the exact specifications of that aspect of the Father that is most important to the Father to be revealed. And that is not His power. God didn't require us to create new new universes or enhance the existing creation. That's done. So the thing to be represented about God is not power. He already is all-powerful and He's clothed Christ with all authority, but the thing to be represented is His nature, 
Hence the question, are we talking about a description of God uh, in creation as being primarily associated with His form or His character? Now we know that He's too big to be seen, but when we speak of the form we may be either speaking of that which contains everything or that which is contained. In, in other words, when we talk about God, are we, are we talking about an emphasis on what God can do versus what God wants to be known as? Because that will be the biggest description of God possible because He's the one deciding what about Himself is most important. Hence He's created, he, at least for the purposes of creation, He created the heavens and the earth to remove the veil that covered the surface of the deep. And this is the mystery to the understanding, you see, of the three as one. There is no question if the Scriptures are to be believed, if Christ is to be believed, and if the continuing work of Christ through the Holy Spirit is to be believed as establishing this priority, the thing that God wants to be known as is Father. Father. And indeed creation itself <clears throat> would host the revelation of Father. Father. Now, Father is really not a name, no more than the word Son <clears throat> is a name. I am a father, but I have a name. My name is Samuel, popularly known as Sam. But to, to my children, I am father. They rarely ever refer to me by my name except to third persons. When they're speaking to me, they refer to me as, in the, in the more popular uh, term, dad. But I can do all sorts of things, there are many things that I'm able to do, but that's not how I wish to be known to my children. I don't want my children to be impressed by what knowledge I may have of the Scriptures, I don't want my children to be um, overwhelmed by any aspect of my presence that they might find overwhelming. I'm just using examples, not suggesting that I have an overwhelming presence by any measure. I'm trying to define personhood for you because personhood is what God intends to reveal. Personhood. Who is, who is God, not what He can do, not how awesome and impressive He is. When we sing about how magnificent God is and awesome and wonderful and all of that, it doesn't mean that much to God. He, he knows He is all of that. What He wants to know is whether we know Him as Father. And in that is hidden the secret of whether or not we really want to be like Him because it's inevitable that we would desire to be like Him if we acknowledge Him as Father. Here's, what John, here's how John put it. This is from 1 John chapter 3, 
beginning at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect Son, who is the quintessence of and the embodiment of the promise that we might be called sons of God. Beloved, he said, now we are the children of God and it it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Isn't that seemingly a, a contradiction? He says, now we are, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. No, it's no contradiction at all. We now occupy the status of being included in Christ and therefore the sons of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, shall is future. It means from the point where John was writing this to some point in the future, this revelation of who we shall be will be given. So this is a subject of prophetic reference. At some point the prophecy as to who we shall be will be revealed and here's what would happen, but we shall know that when he is revealed, but we shall know that when he is revealed, and here is the secret, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And look at this wonderful verse, and everyone who has this hope, hope isn't present tense, but hope is rooted in promise, so it's not guess or wish, but everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What's the point? You understand that he is refining you and you allow yourself to be refined to what degree? To the exact measure of the standard that belongs to Christ. Might I continue to quote the scriptures? Then we shall no longer be infants, this is from Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4 rather, then we shall no longer be infants having been refined, but speaking the truth in love we shall in all things grow up into Him who is the head from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is it saying? There will come a time when we fully occupy the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. We shall be like Him, and the time when we shall be like Him is as has been described here, which is, it has, that has time, he said, had not yet been revealed when we become that mature son, but when that time comes, we know that we, sh- let me reread it, it has not yet been revealed, but we shall be, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, 
because we will see him as he is. Now that scripture has been forever used to mean when he comes back from heaven. No, no, he will remain in heaven until the work of us being refined to the fullness of the statue that belongs to Christ so that we are able to reveal him on the earth and the manner of our revealing of him on the earth is a corporate revealing and that corporate revealing, many members, one body, that's a corporate entity, that corporate revealing will be as the mature son. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the nature of God is the dominant characteristic of God, it is how God wishes to be known and the the name by which He wishes to be known is the name Father, but that's not a proper name, that speaks of a relationship in which He is the Father and then there's another who is the Son, because if you have Father, you must have Son. But this being does not occupy a form except in incarnation, He remains the eternal God outside of time and space, outside of creation, He remains the everlasting Father outside of creation. So within this being, Father and Son exist as characteristics central to the definition of this one being, and this being is spirit, he's not a man, he's not an angel, God is a spirit. Now the manifestations of God will always be consistent with being spirit, every aspect of God will lift us beyond the domain of time and space and we will be in the realm of spirit whenever we understand God and revelation is given to us. That revelation of spirit is going to have to be incarnated in human form, but any time we touch God, any time we encounter God, it will be a spiritual encounter. That's why he, He created man with a spirit so that His being a spirit can bear witness with our spirits and the witness that is born spirit to spirit is that we are sons of God. It's as simple as this, to my children I am, they look at one person and they see dad, to my wife she looks at the same person, the exact same person from in appearance and she sees her husband. When my father was alive, he could look at the very same person, the exact same person and he sees a son. And vis-a-vis all three of these examples, Whereas I am the same being, I'm the same form, I'm the same composition, all of that, I have the same person has a totally different relationship 
with all of the different uh, constituencies I delineated. So I behave as a husband to my wife and at that point, and that husband is resident within the unitary form that I am. But my substance as a husband means that all other forms of me are hypostasis. they underneath that form when I am in that form. You see? That's why the word substance could be used. The Son is substance of the Father. When the Son comes to reveal the Father, He stands underneath the revelation of the Father as one who bears the weight of representation of the Father. That's the meaning of substance. It's not a material. I believe the ancients missed it when they attempted to to understand incarnation and they attempted to understand representation as a separate and distinct person as opposed to positions of priority, hypostasis, substance, you're underneath. If you're representational, you are underneath. What dominates is that which is your imperative. So Jesus is a substance of the Father in that He stands underneath the representation of the Father and therefore does nothing of His own. He only does what He sees the Father doing. But what is the power of substance? When you stand underneath the thing, you are clothed with that which you represent. You have all the authority, all of the power of the thing you aptly represent. So when Jesus is hypostasis, substance, postured beneath the purpose of representation of the Father, he may properly claim the titles that belong to the Father. He might properly claim the title of the Almighty. He might properly claim the title of He who was and is and is to come. He might properly claim the title of the Everlasting Father because that's who He came out of God to to represent. So when He returned to the glory, that he had with the Father before the foundations of the earth, it references the right to be clothed with all of the authority of the Father in creation. That's why he could say, for all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's why his message is, Father, let them be one in the manner in which you and I are one. You are in me and I am in you. I am carrying you representationally in my presence and you clothe me to do it with your holy self. So when he says, so when we see the throne of God and Jesus, the one we have known on the earth, 
who came into the earth, but he's, he's designated as the everlasting Father, he's designated as the Almighty, as the eternal God, the one who was, is, and is to come. Titles that belong to the Father. And he's sitting on the Father's throne. And when he claims, I'm sitting, sitting down with my Father, that's the concept of meta, medium, because he's clothed with the Father. He is the transmission point, he's the medium by which God moves from his position in the eternal into time and space, specifically into creation, the creation of heaven. The throne of God is the symbol of this eternal authority, so when he sits there holding the scroll in his right hand, it is appropriate for him to say, I am sitting in the position of my Father. And when the Lamb, his other self, his other representational self, that which brings all of us in him before that throne of authority is called the Lamb and the the shouts of heaven concerning the Lamb is that he's worthy to take the scroll. It signifies that the authority to unveil the future has been passed to the Lamb and that actually is the beginning of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants. That's the opening lines. So when he hands the the scroll of Revelation, written on both sides, sealed with seven seals, to the Lamb, literally in creation, the authority to speak to the future, the authority to reveal the future has been passed from the eternal God, uh, incarnate or, or represented in the one who holds the scroll, which is, a ty- which is one of the selves of Jesus, in the same way that you may have a same man who is a father and a son and a husband, in the same way that you may have uh, the seven spirits of God, seven characteristics of the one being. In that way, the eternal God passes the authority to the Lamb who has been slain and all who are in the Lamb and because they are in the Lamb and only because they are in the Lamb are available for the revelation of these things that are to come. Now when when the Lamb is seen in prehistory, before the Lamb has come, when he's seen from the book of Daniel, what is presented is the Lamb and all those who are in the Lamb, and He is the man above the waters. This man is given to know the times and the seasons that the Father has kept by His own authority. This man is given to understand what the times are meant to be, and when that man speaks, he's not speaking on his own. The same Spirit who was in Christ is in that man, 
and he speaks the way Christ would speak. He speaks, his, he speaks the words of the head. Those words are spoken through the body. And those words will bring life to all who are in the body. And those words will be like light to bring light to all who are in the house. Yes, in, in representation, the one who is under has the authority of the one who is over. The, definition, the defined characteristic of God that stands above all other characteristics is that of Father because it is the, it's the rootstock based in love. Behold what manner of love the Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. When God operates as Father, He puts on display His awesome love in receiving us into Himself via Christ as His offspring. When Christ stands representational of the Father, He is clothed with the authority of the Father, but He is the perfectly obedient Son who does not speak on His own, the apt description of the Lamb. When the Spirit comes to reveal Christ and does not speak on His own, but takes of what He hears from Christ and reveals, then it is the Spirit of Christ. It may be called the Spirit of Christ. But the Spirit is Spirit, the Son is Spirit, the Father is Spirit because the nature of God Himself, the the origin and existence of God Himself is ageless, timeless. He has no point of beginning, no point of end because He is a Spirit. Everything that God does is sustained by Spirit. Everything that God says is Spirit and life. One being who is spirit, who manifests himself spiritually as father and son. We are to learn from the way God is, and this is what we are being taught and choreographed to, that we have the authority of the one to whom we submit. If we submit to Christ, hypostasis then we obtain the substance of Christ. We stand under Him, He covers us. We are in Him. He stands under the Father, the Father covers... Look, the person who stands under is covered by the one He stands under. Simple. But being covered by, enveloped by, It speaks simultaneously of vulnerability and empowerment. And Paul put it this way, when I am weak, then I am strong, because it's the working of His mighty strength in me that, that comes to the fore when I do not offer my own strength 
in the place of His. When I submit, when I'm weak, when I hypostasis, when I substance, when I come under Him, He stands up in me, He tetimis, He stands up in me where I stand. And the time is coming when His stance in us will be as perfect and complete as the manner in which Christ in which he, Christ submitted to him and God raised him up as both Lord and Christ. We are in the crucified Christ. We died with him, we are buried with him, we are raised with him. Therefore, when we are seen in heaven, we are seen in the Lamb. That's why we follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And that Lamb, the Lamb, in manifestation, full manifestation is the face of God toward humanity and he's the man who stands above the waters of promise, the man in the image and likeness of God. That's God's hope for creation. It's why he created us, it's what he will see when creation yields up the only purpose for which it was established, the manifestation of God in the body of Christ. How could we possibly be fearful of the times we're living in when these things are true? These are faithful sayings and true, you shall not be moved, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You're like the the trees that stand by the banks of the river that flows from the throne of God, twelve of them, one for each month of the year and your fruit is for the healing of the nations. But I have to stop. We have touched the essence of Scripture. God has granted that we fellowship with the mystery of Christ by whom the Father is revealed. May all grace abound to you. May you be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labors are not in vain. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to establish you amongst the sanctified. Now may grace, mercy and peace be with you always, so be it.